This week, Nico Hulkenberg talks to us about his wild week back in Formula One and why he thinks he's the best-looking driver on the grid. And Andrew Shovlin on why Mercedes, rather than being downbeat, are super motivated to fix their tyre wear problems. And now, from Tom's 70s hotel room and my kitchen table, this is F1 Nation. Welcome to a celebration of Formula One. Welcome to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. It's a 13th career pole for Bottas, Hamilton second, Hulkenberg third, but alongside him, Max Verstappen on the hard tyre. Yeah, we're underway for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Oh, how on earth was he not collected? So front left, critical. Valtteri Bottas into the pits, you can understand why. Look at Verstappen, look at Max Verstappen here in the wheel track. Oh, Alvin so close, can he complete the move on the racetrack? Yeah, I think just about he can. Hamilton's going to get rid of those medium tyres and Max Verstappen takes the lead. My tyres feel good, mate. It's all good. What a performance from the Dutchman on those hards. One of the best driven stints we've seen in Formula 1. And Verstappen is going to breeze to the inside. Can he retake the lead that he had? You bet he can. Hamilton gets past his championship rival and he's up to second place. Max Verstappen wins the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. What an amazing race. I think we did everything perfect today. And it's one for Red Bull to savour with one of the great drives from Max Verstappen. What a belter of a race that was at Silverstone with so many talking points both on and off the track. Let's talk Formula One, folks, on The Nation with me, Tom Clarkson. And me, Alex Jakes. Well, TC, you're not wrong. It was one of those races where in the commentary box, you're looking at the screen, you're checking the timing page, you're looking back at the screen because you're just wondering, is what's unfolding in front of me actually happening? Did we actually have a contest between two different teams? Yes, we did. And it was it was a joy to watch that one unfold. And could Max pull it off? Well, what a, what a team leader. He'll get you through Q2 on the hard tyre. His decision, he led the way there. He'll run in the Mercedes wheel tracks, even if you don't want him to. Actually, I think we're a little bit close for tyres at this stage. I think just pull back. Mate, this is the only chance of being close to Mercedes. I'm not just sitting behind like a grandma. And he'll even keep you hydrated on the way to victory. GP, did you hydrate during the race? You must have some sweaty hands as well, so don't forget to sanitize. I think it was one of the best Max Verstappen victories we've seen because we've always known, right from day one, that he's blisteringly quick, but he's now applying the grey matter to his races. He's looking after his tyres when he needs to look after them. He's calling all of the right shots, that that qualifying shot. Let's go through on the hard tyre. He's the team leader that Red Bull have needed. I'm wishing he hadn't retired from Austria 1 because I think we've actually got a championship battle on our hands. If they can improve the pace of that Red Bull in qualifying and maybe get him onto the front row every now and again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an absolute stunner of a season. I'm convinced of it. Someone lock Adrian Newey in a room and don't let him out until they've improved the one lap pace. <laughs> AJ, do you know what though? I was thinking about Adrian Newey. He has now won races. His cars have now won races in four different decades of Formula One. 
That How apt is, is that on the 70th anniversary race? That's something for him and his kids to be really proud of. And he's still so ferociously competitive. It's, it's a stunning man. Stunning man. Brilliant at what he does. Just needs, as you say, a little bit more qualifying pace. <laughs> <laughs> I love how demanding we get. I was having conversations one week ago where people were saying, can Mercedes win every race? And I was thinking at that point, you know what? It's not just can. I'd be surprised if they don't. One week later... Don't count any chickens in Formula One. A brilliant response from Red Bull. What else caught your eye, Tom? Great to see Alex Albon getting his stuff together, I felt, this weekend. Okay, uh, still a little bit scratchy in qualifying. Doesn't have that raw pace of his teammate yet. But a stunning race by him. I mean, clearly the Red Bull was working very well around Silverstone, but he was 16th after he made that first pit stop. And he drove back to 5th. Those overtakes around the outside of Cops. Let's remind folks at home, AJ, that is a 185 mile an hour corner. Rear tyres a little bit gone. And yet he was driving around the outside of people like Lance Stroll. It was absolutely stunning. Massive cojones. And, you oh, know, yes. The first time he went around the outside, he went around the outside of Kimi. I have to be honest, I'm thinking, no, 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 what are you doing? Because even a feather touch with another car there, you're off into the barrier and the narrative suddenly becomes, look at this pressure. Why was he trying to overtake around the outside of cops? But when you pull it off, you end up getting praised on F1 Nation with having provided us with the move of the race and around the outside late on. That was a driver rediscovering confidence. I'm glad we got a reminder of what Alex Albon can do because when he is in the mood, when he is in the zone, when he is comfortable, he is a spectacular racing driver. And AJ, significantly, he got proper praise from Christian Horner after the race. And I think they've managed that situation really well. You can't find a single quote from Christian Horner that it hasn't been in support for Alex at every single point of this season so far. They have stood behind him. Can he continue that forward progress? So it wasn't Mercedes' best day. One of the most intriguing things, I think, is how their trackside engineering director, Andrew Shovlin, who we've got coming up on the show in a little bit, reacted to the problems yesterday, actually relishing the challenge of solving this from an engineer's standpoint. Couldn't wait to get into the factory on Monday morning, get his head down and try and get on top of what is causing all of these tyre issues on the softer compounds. But that's coming up in a bit. At break time now and the races just keep coming in F1 2020. If you're looking to upgrade your race weekend experience, you can now trial F1 TV Pro during the Spanish Grand Prix with a free seven-day trial. With F1 TV Pro, you can watch every race live or on demand and with full control. There are so many exclusive features, but the best of them all, the Pit Lane Channel. It really is the best view for fans. Now, important point. Due to certain media rights which break my heart in two, F1 TV Pro isn't available worldwide. And the seven-day trial is only available in selected countries. Please go to f1tv.com to see what's available in your country. But if you can get F1 TV Pro, that means you'll be able to stream every live session from FP1 to the race, wherever and whenever and whatever device you want. You'll get exclusive access to 20 driver onboard cameras, a pre-race show, a pit lane channel with expert stats, commentary, and the best angles. And just imagine what you'll be privy to on the unedited team radio that you will watch after you've listened to the pit lane channel. 
I'm biased, but come on, work with me here. So get ready for the Spanish Grand Prix with F1 TV Pro. It's now available with a seven-day free trial. Simply visit f1tv.com to get started. Do not miss out. This offer is only available until Monday the 17th of August in selected territories. See more, know more with F1 TV. Right, time to get back to F1 Nation. Red Bull ticked off. Mercedes ticked off. We're on to Ferrari. Now, Tom, genuine question for you. Is their strategy computer plugged in? (laughs) We'll see if I'm allowed back next week. I'm genuinely slightly confused about the situation there. And I'll tell you why. In Budapest, we saw Sebastian Vettel, like he has done across the last five years, rejecting a strategic call on the radio and going, no, I'm not putting the soft tyre on the car. Charles, a little bit of inexperience that you touched on at the time, took that tyre, ruined his race, no points. Now, we throw it forward to the second Silverstone race. A few weeks later, Charles Leclerc overruling the strategy that the team wanted to put him on. So first of all, you go, brilliant. He's grown. He's made progress. He is turning into the team leader that they need. But to me, TC, I'm thinking, aren't you repeating the same mistake again? You want your driver. You want your lead driver bolted in the car, thinking about how they're going to win the race. Just pure driving. You do not want your second team leader in a row second guessing the strategy of the team. And whilst that fourth place was a real credit to Charles, I wonder institutionally if Ferrari are lumbering their team leader with the sort of pressure that you might see with a cricket captain or a a player manager in football, the lead driver should not be thinking about strategy. Surely. Before, before, slow button. Yes, sir. Yes. Blood C, baby. Oh, yes. I'm so happy. So happy. Yeah, you kind of get the impression the tail's wagging the dog at the minute. It's there tapping you on the shoulder every day. And early doors in your career with Ferrari, it doesn't appear to affect you that much. We've seen it with Alonso. We've seen it with Vettel. But over a prolonged period, it wears you down. It wears you down. And people were commenting, weren't they, at the end of last year that Sebastian Vettel was looking like an old man. He was only 33. And yet it does get to them and you just think it's too much pressure. It still, I think, is a legacy of the Schumacher years where Schumacher actually welcomed having the entire team on his shoulders. But the significant thing is he had Ross Braun there on the pit wall and they were two peas in a pod. And Charles is lacking that person on the pit wall and it's going to grind Charles down in the same way that it ground Sebastian Vettel down. A team working in harmony, you're not going to see such open criticism of each other over over the airwaves, are you? It's like going to the pub with that bickering couple that you know are close to the end. And you're like, <laughs> can we get there sooner rather than later, guys? Because we both know what's coming here. And it is it is painful. He's a brilliant multiple world champion. They're the most famous team in the sport. Is it better for them both to part ways now? To not leave on a sour note, to not let it get any worse because you've got the team principal openly saying something against the driver. You've got the driver openly saying something during the race on the radio. Do you part now? I'm told that he has got his future sorted in Formula One, that he has got a a deal in principle agreed with Racing Point for 2021. That being the case, he seems very on edge is all I can say. And when he was asked in in the press conference on Thursday why he got into a car with Otmar Safnauer on the Sunday evening of the British Grand Prix, he said they went to a service station to fill up with fuel and then Otmar went somewhere else. Well, where did Seb go? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's gone. He spent the rest of the rest of the night at the, the service station. It just, and then he was being a little bit bellicose towards some photographers. I was told, and I think he's in a difficult place. And I think not helped by what's going on on track. It's very difficult. I think he's a proud man, and it's not doing his reputation any good. I just love to see Seb relax and let it come naturally, which is what we saw in the Red Bull years. He was so much fun to be around. He was the funnest guy in the paddock in those yeah. Red Bull years because it was coming so naturally. I just hope he gets into a happy place where he can enjoy motor racing, enjoy being in the Formula One paddock because we're spending so much time in it with these you know, 25 races scheduled for next year, apparently. Give it Geo to the end of the season. <laughs> Would you believe it? It's ad break time once again. ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're in a different country. Netflix has different shows and movies depending where you are. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. ExpressVPN is available on every device. Phones, yes. Laptops, yes. Tablets, yes. Even your TV. It works with many streaming services. Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it, it works. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. It's so simple to use. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location, hit connect, then refresh the page, and the show or movie you want to watch will magically appear. There's so much great TV out there at the moment. Now look, we've all done this in the past. ExpressVPN is a great way to find it, to watch it, and to get it before all of your mates have seen it as well. If you use the link right now at expressvpn.com F1N, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com F1N. Would it be Geo or would it be Nico Hulkenberg? Ah. Mr. Super Sub, Mr. Super Sub did a cracking job at the weekend, AJ. So good to have him around as well. Now, there's a guy who was really enjoying himself at Silverstone. So happy to be there. So let's get him on the line. Nico, how are you? I hope you're back at the Racing Point Hospitality Cabin, feet on the table, beer in hand. Uh, well, Otmar just emptied the last beer, so I'm <laughs> high and dry. He's not a team player in that respect. <laughs> how are you? No, I'm fine, to be honest. Uh, right out the car, it's always quite okay. It's just in the car, you know, the, the, the G-forces on the neck are obviously quite extreme around here. And it was tough. Yeah, it was, it was fairly unspectacular, my race, but I'm also glad and thankful for that. There wasn't too much fighting and, and safety cars and stuff like that because, uh, yeah, it was enough on my plate the last uh, 10 days as it was. I mean, how, how do you feel after a race anyway? And how do the emotions compare with this particular race? First one for donkeys a year. Well, how do you feel after the race? It depends how the race went, how the weekend went, obviously. I mean, physically, sometimes you're a bit more knackered. Uh, it, it depends if it's hot. Is it a fast track? Is it a slow track? You know, these, these factors have a big, big influence. So there's some races that are really kind of quite easy and some races are really tough. Like Singapore, always very tough. Hungary, tough. Here, when it's hot, it's tough. For different reasons, but there's a couple of really tough ones and a couple of more chilled ones. And were you able to enjoy being back or are you just totally focused on the moment, totally focused on the results, starting in P3? No, to be honest, you know what I, I, I kind of said and a friend said to me, you know what, Nico, you did 100% yesterday. Today, it's just all, you know, add on and goody. Just go out there, have fun and enjoy it as well. 
you know, when you have a good car beneath you. Obviously, we thought it would be even a bit better, but but still, it was you know a, a decent car and enjoyable. So uh, I kind of tried to you know inhale that too and uh, appreciate the moment there. Nico, the opening eight months of this year. Can I just take you back to that? While we were all testing in Barcelona, right in February, you were at the Rio Carnival. <laughs> all right, we were freezing our knackers off in Barcelona, looking at this racing point. You were doing the samba on the other side of the world. I mean, how, uh, well, A, how was the Rio Carnival, by the way? Oh, it was great. Fantastic. If you haven't been, definitely it's, uh, it's one of them things you should do and like once. Two million people on the streets. But how, um, how do you just, what happened over the next eight months for you personally? Well, uh, like you said, in the beginning of the year, I was traveling a bit. Brazil, I went to Miami, I went to a few destinations, you know, just having fun with friends, uh, enjoying life a bit more than, than usual <laughs> uh, without, you know, the, this, the, the busy schedule and, you know, having to be there or there. But then obviously COVID, COVID hit and, you know, I was also obviously under quarantine like many other people. So spent quite a bit of time in Germany during, during this period, which was good because it was obviously more under control in Germany and restrictions weren't that bad like, like other places. So um, the outside life. And we were lucky with, with great weather was was still quite enjoyable. Not racing, but then also not having to watch it was obviously, I didn't miss anything because there was nothing happening. Did you watch the opening three races? Austria one, Austria two and yeah, I'm, I'm me now, I'm talking March, April when oh, we okay, were okay, okay, down. Okay. Because yeah. there was, you know, every the world kind of stopped and it was only virtual racing, which I'm not that into. But then, yeah, obviously once, once racing resumed, I was watching and then I'm like kind of sitting at home having to watch it is like, hmm, that's not so nice anymore. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and then, you know, this is obviously how this came about 10 days ago, just so suddenly, so unexpectedly. But hey, yeah, use the opportunity, I guess. Had you kept in touch with the likes of Otmar, Tom McCulloch, all your old muckers at Racing Point? I mean, yes and no. I mean, you obviously, we met many times in the paddock, but that's chit-chat, you know, a couple of occasional you know, chats or phone calls on Christmas or birthdays like that, yes. But, but nothing, uh, nothing really beyond that. How do you rate your performance? Because you've had such a, uh, a whirlwind time of it at the last 10 days. What would you give yourself out of 10 for your performance in the last week racing around Silverstone? Very honestly, I'd say average at best. Yeah, I'm half joking here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it with a straight face then. Like you said that. it with a straight face. Absolutely <laughs> done well, with it. So better than average, and everyone mighty impressed with that lap. Actually, that lap didn't feel so good in Q3. But anyways, it was good enough. <laughs> the race, yeah, it's good, obviously. It, it's, just, it's just hard when you don't know a car and you don't know many things that are just, you know, coming new at you the whole time during a race. You know, the fuel goes down, tires, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, adjusting to that, I guess, I think I did okay. It's just a shame with that third stint and with the blister. Otherwise, it could have been better, obviously. I guess apart from that, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with, uh, with my work today. I don't want to get too techy here, but how was your start? Because Max got you off the line. And how much did that sort of compromise yeah. your race? Yeah, he had a lightning start, but it didn't compromise my race at all, to be honest. It had no impact, actually. But yeah, it was a bit slow. My reactions uh, were a bit slow watching the replay. And then also the drive out was not so good. I had a bit of, a bit of uh, a wheel spin, so that was a bit costly, but luckily... It's not a long uh, run down to turn one, so that kind of helped. And yeah, obviously I just lost that one position to him. 
at the start, but then uh, was able to hang on, hang on to fourth. Um, yeah, first race, first half of the race was good. It was just you know all under control until we, until we pitted for the second set of prime. Then it kind of it went away from us, unfortunately. And you couldn't have got to the end of the race no, without no. that last pit oh, stop. I, had, I, I saw the tire have huge blisters on there, huge chunks out of both rear tires. The vibration and within three laps they skyrocketed. I, I mean, no, no way I, I would have survived seven, eight laps on that. How did the other drivers react to having you back? Uh, well, mixed, mixed feeling. They said, "Jesus, now uh, we've got you know, best-looking guy back in the paddock." There's a lot of competition, so they weren't happy about that. But they said Obviously. that he's just an average driver, so that's good. <laughs> in the second best car, oh. he only's got the look, so we're good. Yeah. Hey, the gags are rolling out because there was a wonderful moment after Quali when who was it? Daniel Ricciardo. And I and Max, actually, Max Verstappen, both came up and um, congratulated you. It was a nice moment, certainly, to watch. Yeah, yeah, nice to acknowledge of them. Obviously, they're, you know, mates and pals or whatever you want to call it. Known them a few years now. Obviously, Daniel, teammate from last year. And, uh, yeah, no, it's nice to, to get that, you know, recognition of them for, for the, the job I did there. And, uh, yeah, it was felt uh, felt. So look, just to finish off, kind of where I started, do you feel like you've just been on a first date with a really hot girl and you're desperate to have that <laughs> second date and <laughs> you just don't know whether she wants to meet up again, do you? How, how do you feel? Hey man, that's a really good description actually. <laughs> Is that how you feel? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, help, I don't know what's, <laughs> what's happening now. I know that they, she's not like against me, but obviously there's another favourite. <laughs> and if that favorite is, is healthy, obviously, I know she will go for him. That's kind of where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but Nico, looking further ahead, I, had a, I was having a, a, a chat with Fred Vasseur last night. And uh, by the way, if you do the deal, I want 10% because we were talking about you. <laughs> and he said to me that you were the most underrated driver in the Formula One paddock. He claimed that he was the guy that got you to Renault, although he'd left the team by the time you actually got there. But he said he was the guy that did that. And he really wants to see you back in Formula One. And so I said all the right things. But I mean, Good. you've definitely Thanks proven to people that you've still got it. Would you consider a, a ride with Sauber, Alfa Romeo next year? Oh, yes. Yes, it's a short answer. I mean, obviously, there's doing a deal, there's several terms, you know, that, that kind of, play into it and it's always the, the package I guess yeah I'm very keen you know to go race or to come racing again in Formula One you know I still love it here it's my passion I'm not desperate but I certainly would love to come back and, and be racing again I've been talking to Fred quite frequently uh, the last few months um, very funny guy and he's got a brilliant laugh hasn't he I, I had no idea I've always thought <clears throat> he's Mr. Straight but when you get him laughing he's got that really infectious laugh hasn't he it's outrageous we spent okay, most of the perfect. conversation perfect. laughing. Do you think his laugh meant uh, it gave it away? You're confident? You did your job? I think I've <laughs> done my job. And I'm, I'm equally confident that you'll give me 10%, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, 10% of nothing is not so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Hulk, it's, um, it's been wonderful to have you back. It really has. And um, Thank you very much. great job.
Well, it basically felt like a game show at points, that interview, TC, because it's like, hasn't he done well? Nico Hulkenberg, <laughs> everyone. Give him, a, give him a big round of applause. But he deserves it because that was a really super, super sub performance from him. And I think everyone in the paddock impressed with the way he acquitted himself. What struck me when he was talking about the Rio Carnival is maybe Sebastian Vettel would benefit from getting out of the paddock for six months and just having that mental refreshment that clearly the Hulk had because he's just glided back into Formula One and clearly loved every minute. Except, AJ, Sebastian, like all of us, did have six months out of the Formula One paddock and it hasn't helped him, is it? I think no Rio just... Carnival, though. No Rio ah, Carnival. That's what he's that's missing. True. Samba. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great to see Hulk in the Alfa Romeo next year I don't think he's going to be winning races in that car, but just to give him a permanent seat on the grid, which is what he deserves. And Fred Vasseur is my guest on this week's Beyond the Grid podcast, and he couldn't stop waxing lyrical about the Hulk. There were two drivers that stood out. One was Lewis Hamilton, obviously, and he just said the confidence that that guy had, even back in Formula 3, and he was so self-critical as well back in Formula 3, uh, was Lewis. But he said the other guy that really stood out was, was Nico Hülkenberg. And he said when he was driving for him, he had a very poor opening part of the season. They were thinking, oh, I think this is all over, isn't it? And Hulk was the guy saying, guys, I can feel it. It's about to come. And then, bam, he won race after race after race, won the GP2 championship for them. So he really wants to have Hulk. He loves Hulk. And I mean, whether the politics at Alpha will allow that to take place because of the links with Ferrari, etc., I don't know. But I think if Fred gets his way, Nico Hülkenberg will be in that car next year, which would be great. The incredible return of the incredible Hulk. <laughs> and I think his attitude of being the super sub really helped Racing Point this weekend as well, because he wasn't getting bogged down in any of the off-track stuff, all the protests that have come from Renault. And we saw Lawrence Stroll, the team owner, making that statement on Sunday morning. I mean, it was an extraordinary moment when Lawrence Stroll, who normally hangs out in the shadows of Formula One, does not like any publicity at all, made that statement very uh, passionate plea really um telling the world that he will fight this protest uh, this verdict in the courts which obviously made us all think how do you make a small fortune in formula one you start with a very big one because it's hey <laughs> there it is so that's the first time i think we've ever had a public statement from lawrence stroll since he, he took over ownership of the team with his partners there and the first thing that came to mind when it was played out ahead of the pre-show and I was like what what is this this is this is Lawrence Stroll doing a piece to camera okay we're in slightly weird territory here and I immediately thought huh I think I've seen this one before because when Man City were appealing they had a list of the lawyers at the end and it was like Dan and Greg representing UEFA and then there were 50 names <laughs> underneath who was representing Man City and I get a yeah. feeling Lawrence Stroll might take a very similar approach to yeah, try to gonna... clear his team's name. What was interesting actually is in the paddock you know there were a lot of people saying this is all about the future of Formula One and how we stop this going forward. Well how we stop this going forward is the 2022 rules simply no one can copy in 2022 because it's a new car for everybody and the FIA will have put in place mechanisms to stop the copying the pink Mercedes situation that we have now. So I don't believe it is about the future that's taking care of itself. 
this argument is all about the here and now. It is about the money that people are going to be trousering at the end of the 2020 season. And all four of the teams that have protested against it, Ferrari, McLaren, Williams, Renault, are all in danger of finishing behind Racing Point. That is why it is uh, of interest to them. And to me, that is what this is all about. It's not about the future. That takes care of itself. And But Lawrence Stroll with his 50 QCs. Will there be more people in the garage? Will there be more people in the courtroom? It's going to be a good Netflix episode anyway. I have to say, you're usually told uh, if you ever get any broadcast training, don't make anything of, you know, a brawl on the pitch if you're covering rugby or you're covering football. Well, I have to say, we've had a brawl in the paddock this week and it has been incredible to hear and read some of the things that people are prepared to say on the record that normally would only be said behind closed doors. It's been an incredible week for everyone in that regard. Everyone at each other's throats. And how apt on the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, because it's always been like this. Happy birthday. (laughs) I mean, it really, it it has always, it has always been that way. And a latest chapter in the political wranglings of Formula One. I'm sure there's a load more we could say about that protest, AJ. But I've got to get out of this 1970s hotel room. Your luxury suite. The luxury suite. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure what's bigger, the Silverstone wing or the room that you are <laughs> yeah. in. It's outrageous. So uh, I'm going to have to scrape myself out of here, head to the airport, off to the Spanish Grand Prix, the third of this triple header. Um, this hotel life, AJ. Can't remember it. It is, but a, <laughs> it is but a distant memory for me. Hold up in the bunker at Biggin Hill, Formula One headquarters. <laughs> but another, another trip for you. Uh, another round of interviews to come. But a big challenge ahead for Mercedes, Tom. Yeah. And as you and I are speaking now, on Monday, Mercedes are all in the factory at Brackley, scratching their heads, trying to work out what happened over the weekend and Is the same thing going to happen at the Spanish Grand Prix? Yes, the tyres are going one step harder, the same as the British Grand Prix 10 days ago, but the temperatures in Spain... AJ, it's going to be hot down there, man. Um, The Costa del Sol, boom, that is exactly what we're facing. It's going to be 30 degrees, and that could potentially play havoc because the hotter the track temperature, the softer the tyres become, even the harder compounds... And so can Mercedes sort that out? Well, after the race on Sunday, I caught up with that man, Andrew Shovlin. When you push the car outside the normal operating region and you start to see where it's sensitive to performance, occasions like Singapore in 2015, where we had a car that, that, you know, you'd you'd almost struggle to not put it on pole, was a long, long way off the pace. And you suddenly, I'd say over the years where we've had those bad races, Mexico was one two years ago, uh, that we came back and won last year, and there have been a number. But when we've had those bad races, it's actually kind of taught us more about where the performance exists on the car. And some of them we've realised there's mechanisms at play that we didn't even know about that, that are quite critical and they become sources of future development. And this wasn't something that last year's car suffered from. And this year's car is, by and large, an evolution of last year's car. You know, there's not any areas where we've really change philosophy we've just been pushing down you know the same paths for development right now we don't understand what the problem is we didn't really long run here so it may have been something that was lurking in there all all weekend and it may have been something that we actually just 
sort of dodged last weekend with the early safety car and being on the very hardest tyre for most of the race. But what we have got is a load of data. Um, we've got data from two different track conditions here, different compounds. Um, there's a lot that we can go off and try and, um, and pick through. But yeah, fundamentally, we, 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 you know, we were doing more, more management than Red Bull going slower than them in the high speed corners, but more prone to blistering. We knew that blistering was an issue. We knew that last week. We were talking to the drivers about it. We, were, we know the sort of uh, temperatures that it, that it will occur at. So that wasn't news to us. What was news to us was we're kind of at the very, very worst end of that problem. And Red Bull appeared to be at the very best end of that spectrum. That's the thing that we need to understand because, you know, there have been other races where everyone's been in the same boat, but why are we an outlier? Um, right now, we haven't got the answer. And, I, you know, I think the way we approach problems, you know, they're really interesting engineering problems. And what we need to do is get up to excited about getting our heads together and fixing it because actually, you know, they are they are really interesting and good fun problems when you can get on top of them and an element of urgency here because we're in Barcelona flying out there on Tuesday running on Friday forecast to be 30 degrees C the track will be a bit like this it's a high energy circuit so we're kind of well aware that, that if we don't get on top of it we've got another Sunday of looking silly so um, you know they're like the racing's great fun but actually the engineering's great fun as well and um, there's quite a few of us who you know, we welcome these challenges as engineers because it's a real test of your metal. Do you think next weekend when we go back to the hardest tyre, the hardest three tyres in the range, uh, that'll make it less of a problem for you? I mean, if we don't solve it, yeah, you can probably hide from it a little bit on that, that C1 tyre. But we've still got to run, you know, the tyre that today was causing us grief. That wasn't solving the problem for us. We've seen Red Bull, they're not that far off as in races even when we're looking looking at our best. So I think, to be honest, if we don't make progress, we'll be in trouble there as well. So that's kind of where this urgency to get a bit of a grip on it comes from. The ever insightful Andrew Shovlin there, a team happy when they win and seriously motivated when they lose. You can hear him chomping at the bit, ready to try and work out how to fix that tyre wear issue. Has Formula One woken the beast? That's Mercedes, not Andrew Shovelin. He's a, he's a lovely chap. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out just how good that team is. How quickly can they get on top of this problem? But it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing about the calendar, isn't it? Normally, we're in Spain in the first week of May, yet we're now heading there in August. It's almost like this championship is finally set up for Red Bull. I remember before the first race, AJ, we were all saying... Are Red Bull going to dominate these opening three races? Because they did last year, Austria was, and Hungary. That was Lawrence Barreto. That was that was Barreto. <laughs> he put he put his life savings on Verstappen winning the title. <laughs> but everyone's saying the calendar was going to suit Red Bull. Maybe it is now coming their way. A race in Spain in August, I think, has got their name on it. But we're going to find out very soon. And that is just about all we have time for on this week's edition of F1 Nation. Our thanks to Nico Hulkenberg and to Andrew Shufflin, to Tom Clarkson, who has already logged off, ready to jet set his way off to another palatial suite where he will be speaking to us next week. I hope you can join us then. If you like what you heard this week, remember to subscribe and leave us a review. We will read a hat full out next week when F1 Nation returns. <laughs> <laughs>